Hey everybody, this is uh, Chips Enough Week for Tulsa Music Stream. We'll be joining him here shortly. He's actually right here with us right now. Yeah, so um, this is episode 52. Welcome to Tulsa Music Stream. Make sure you share our event on Facebook. And if you're listening to on Twitter, uh, make sure you retweet this. And as well as YouTube, make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube. And we're also on Twitch all live on multiple platforms that is us tulsa music stream That's how's right. it how's everybody doing today we're great how are you doing chips enough can you see and hear us okay uh, very good i can hear you fine awesome excellent excellent thank you so much for joining us tonight we've got a lot to cover with you and we've got a lot of viewers watching tonight first thing i want to mention to you is scott and i had the pleasure of seeing you guys out at rock island fest and man, you guys absolutely killed it out there. It was such a great set. And but what really, really made you shine, honestly, I think above everyone else is is your personality and how you made a point to get out there and meet people and give hugs and give autographs. And you know that goes so far with the fans. Tell us a little bit about you guys' experience at Rock Island Fest and and how fun that show was for you all. Well, it was certainly a big concert for us. Anytime you get a chance to share the stage with all those great bands, uh, it's very exciting, especially with Cheap Trick. I grew up, I grew up with those cats. We go back a long ways. I, you know, I've always loved Robin. He's he sang on my solo record. Uh, Rick's played with Enough Snub on numerous records, uh, along with his son, Dax. Uh, the only reason I haven't had Tom Peterson any of my records is because I play bass, and so right. does Tom. Right. Uh, but a big fan of his, and Little Robin Jr. is a fabulous musician as well. Uh, great bands. But the other groups that were on the bill as well as uh, Cheap Trick were Dee Snyder and Twisted Sister. You know, it, it's just basically a Dee Snyder's solo thing, but yeah. he's a fabulous front man. <laughs> that band yes. was absolutely incendiary. And uh, hanging out with the guys in Jack, like go back with Jesse, 30 years Wonderful cats in that band as well. Uh, Slaughter, Mark Slaughter still has pipes. Dana, the guys just bring in every night. Uh, just a strong, formidable band. Uh, Winger, fantastic. 
Uh, the list goes on and on. It, it's a, a great festival that I, I'm told from the guys who run that, uh, most notably Mark, that they're going to be doing that every single year now. So wow. I'd certainly like to be a part of that. Uh, it was nice. We played two shows. Yes. Uh, and most bands only played one time. We played a couple of shows. And then I thought it would be nice to go out there and say hi to the fans because uh, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. That's what's important to me, playing a great performance and then getting a chance to say hello to the fans who have come out and supported the uh, band absolutely. for you know, all these years. And, uh, you know, that's one of the better concerts I've played. And listen, Enough Snuff has been at a lot of festival dates, a lot of big shows. You know, I remember going out with Alice Cooper and Foreigner and Billy Squire and The Fix in Florida playing 100,000 people there. We've done massive festivals all around the country, playing the 30, 40, 50,000 people with Def Leppard and Poison. To be on a stage like that, this part of my career, I, I don't take it for granted. I'm very grateful for it. And uh, hopefully we'll be back there again next year because uh, Rock Island Fest, Eddie Trunk, I shout out to him as well because I, he was a great host, put put all that together. Uh, you can't go wrong playing with any you of know, those guys on stage, sharing the stage with everybody. Uh, the All-Star Jam was incendiary playing with uh, the guys from Doc and most notably George Lynch. Uh, just to, I, I can't wait to get back there, not only for that, but get a chance to hang out with all those animals that are on the island because uh, <laughs> there was all kinds of lizards and, uh, and chickens and roosters uh, and uh, every single night waking me up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so that was kind of uh, something I haven't done ever before, so... Uh, yeah, we'll do it again, I'm sure. sure. Yeah, it was amazing because we had the VIP package and everything, and we, we got to see, you know, you, Enough's Enough did a, a VIP package, and then you also did another VIP package where it was just you, and you just jammed a bunch of uh, cover songs with the guys from, you know, was it not Last in Line, but... Uh, yeah, anyway. Last in Line. Yeah, George yeah. Lynch was up there. Yes, yes. The guys from Great White, Jack Russell's Great White, Robbie. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a really a formidable band. Solid drumming. Yes. Uh, it, those guys really played well, and we never played together before, so it was really nice to share the stage and, and get up there and play a few songs. It's I, I, I'm I'm the king of that. I've been playing in jam with guys forever and ever. You don't need rehearsal; just get up there and play. That's something you don't get at a lot of uh, any other festivals. Is this, is something like that where you get up there on a smaller stage and just jam with all your buddies. And, right. And so that's really really cool. Yeah. yeah. It was. Great. Yeah, it was real nice. I uh, you know I think that uh, they're going to use that template for next year as well, and you'll see uh, you know 20 bands or so at Rock Island along with the big all-star jam. Uh, they know that that works very well and the fans love it. It's it's just something nice to, that you just don't see very often. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I seen you, you were running around taking pictures with people, uh, a lot of fans. You hung out at the merch booth and I got to go uh, meet you and talk to you um, and get this show with you uh, yeah. finally. But you know, you told me, you said like, why doesn't anybody else come out here and do this? It's like, it's not that hard. You just, you get done with your show, you know, and you chill out and then go back here behind the table and try to sell some merch and, and hang out and say thanks to all the fans. It's like, well, I don't get it. Why doesn't anyone do that? Why doesn't anyone do that? Uh, you know, I think that there's other cats that perhaps may do that. Uh, I do it. And, uh, first of all, uh, I know people are a little bit questioning what's happening in the world right now with uh, 
True. All the stuff that's uh, that's closed us down for the last couple of years. It's it's kind of kept people away from each other. Unfortunately, um, I feel healthy. Uh, I'm blessed to do what I do. And I, at the end of the day, in the old days, uh, we would enough stuff would play a show, and then I'd be backstage hanging out with all the trim, and and getting high. That's it, what it's all about. It's a big <laughs> celebration, a huge party. And nowadays, I realize how important the fans are. To all, for all the bands, and if I can't, if the other guys can't come out there and do it, well, I'm representing them too as well. So right. it's it's all good at the end of the day. I just did a huge tour with Faster Pussycat in 2021. We were like the human guinea pigs. We went out and played a it was called the quarantine tour. Yeah. And uh, every night we played, and we weren't doing stadiums or sheds. We were playing. Uh, humble little 500 to thousand seat venues, but they were jam packed sold out every night and the fans came out and I could see how the, the love in their eyes and how excited they were to get back out there and see rock concerts. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if I can put a smile on somebody's face after a show, that's important. A lot of these fans have been waiting for 10, 15, 20 years to, to meet their favorite artists. And, uh, if I can somehow facilitate that, you can count on me to come through every single time. And I have my own radio show as well. Yes. I'm on the Monsters of Rock on the Dash Radio Network. And I tell the fans all the time, come to the shows. I'll come out and see you at the end of the night. We'll hang out and take a picture. And uh, that leaves an indelible mark. Sure it does. You know, the the cool thing about, you know, that tour with Faster Pussycat is we actually were going to be on the Tulsa bill. And we were very excited to, to be able to – to finally open up for you guys and then um because th- it was just you come into tulsa and uh, we had two tulsa uh, two other tulsa bands that were going to play that show as well and then something happened you guys couldn't make it yeah. and i know you there was like a bus situation where you know you had to take the, put the bus in for for some work <laughs> or something but hopefully yeah, next we, time we we'll had the old tulsa. journey tour bus oh wow is uh, a 1989 eagle and we took that bus out. A friend of ours was kind enough to let us use the bus for the tour. And it broke down after about six shows. And like all buses do, even the great buses break down. <laughs> it happens to all of us. And we got, we were on the side of the road that day. I remember it cost me a couple of grand to get that thing fixed. Mm. It was really a drag that we, we missed that last uh, opportunity. But uh, we played a show earlier in the day. We, we played in Detroit the night before. And then had to take the bus all the way to Baltimore to do the M3 festival. And we, so it was a 15-hour drive from Detroit uh, all the way to Baltimore. We made it to Maryland. We played the show. We jumped back on the bus because we were on at noon. We jumped back on the bus and took off, and then it broke down. And we found ourselves uh, behind the eight ball for a little while. But we got a bu- we got the bus fixed and then ended up uh, being able to continue the tour all the way until Denver. And I'll tell you, that bus was kind of like fine old picks back there. I found David Bowie guitar picks and wow. uh, uh, John wow. Joe Satriani and Journey stuff and gold bindles from the old days used. Obviously, there was nothing inside of them. And uh, and all <laughs> alcohol bottles as well. You know, it was a big party bus, that's for sure. Uh, but we <laughs> found incredible. ourselves uh, uh, grabbing a bunch of memorabilia from that bus. And we got, made it all the way through until Denver, Colorado, 
we played at a, a place in Denver, a small little venue called The Venue, coincidentally, mm-hmm. and sold out jam-packed. We played a bunch of Beatles songs, and I remember. And at the end of the night, the bus wouldn't start again. We, the second time it went down, and uh, a friend of mine over in Houston, a guy named Justin, runs the Houston place called Warehouse Live. Uh, he put his credit card up with his friend, and they uh, got us a 15-seat passenger van, and we were able to navigate the rest of that tour total miracle right there how many guys do that for bands and he said to me i don't want to see another tour go down because everybody was canceling shows back then and that's why i said in the beginning of this that we were almost like the human guinea pig our agency artists worldwide was on that tour yeah along with uh sullivan big and then we found ourselves where we weren't sure exactly how much we were going to be able to do, but there was no sh- mandates, no restrictions. Mm-hmm. Nobody got sick. Everybody was real healthy, and the tours really went well. Mm-hmm. And we were able to do 42 shows on that run, which is quite a good, remarkable run for any rock band this day and age. And they were playing six days a week. And uh, I thought that was pretty significant, and I think it showed a lot of the promoters out there that, hey, we can still do this. Yeah. Sure. One more. I want to touch one more thing on the Rock Island Fest. There's a group page for rock island fest and and everyone was posting all the pictures that you were taking with everyone and mm-hmm. everyone were just very happy and, and thought you were amazingly cool that you did all that and they want to you know make you like the ambassador of rock <laughs> island or something so yeah. you know you definitely uh made, you, an made, made, a, made an impression with a lot of the fans out there yes. and they really enjoyed the fact that you were like down to earth and cool and you, you look great you, you know you, you look healthy you still look like a rock you star you still look like the rock star exactly That's right. and, and so we're going to get into this we got some people in here in the chat room um watching this live and everything and uh they got a lot to say and we'll get back to a lot of their uh their messages and stuff but we're going to talk a little bit about what you got going on now i know you just uh not too long ago released a uh a beatles uh cover album called uh hard rock night yep there it is there right there the cover of it I want to ask you about that. I mean, it was kind of a no-brainer that uh, that you guys were eventually going to do something like this. But what I want to know is how difficult was it for you to to pare it down to those ten songs when you had such a vast catalog to choose from? Uh, thank you for your kind words. It was a, a definitely a challenge. Uh, we picked stuff unwittingly from 1967 through 70. Uh, it just, just happened like that. Those are songs that we thought would be, would fit into the set and that we would be able to go out and play and perform live. Uh, those Beatles songs are, there's nothing like them. They're, they're timeless. Uh, we've always loved what they've done in the past. Uh, I think over 300 songs on Spotify the Beatles have right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a wonderful catalog of material right there to, to pick from. And I picked a lot of the songs that I used to do in the early days of Enough Snuff because we played Beatles songs in our set. We would do Cold Turkey off the Shea Fish record. We love John Lennon. And we had Jet in our set for a little while as well. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple other ones too. The Revolution, we used to play that. It's actually on one of our live records. So I was familiar with those songs in our rendition of the songs. And uh, make no mistake, this is a, it's not a, it's a cover record, but it's, it's, it's a reinterpretation of the Beatles songs through our eyes. If the Beatles were out right now and they were playing through Mesa Boogie amplifiers and Marshalls and right, SVTs right. and big drums, imagine what they could do. You know, they they gave they stopped playing a long time ago. Uh, they were just making records. They weren't really playing a lot of live shows. 
although they were a fabulous band live. In the early days, if you've seen the Beatles, and a lot of us were too young to experience that, uh, you couldn't even understand it. The, the PAs weren't significant. Right. It was very difficult to hear People the vocals. Constantly. It was hard for the guys on stage to hear themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, they just didn't have the same technologies they have right now in this day and age. Uh, but we went in the studio, and we just started playing these songs live. And I sang them just like I would sing it live. And it was not a lot of overdubs, and a lot of, not a lot of punching in. Just trying to sing the songs and see if I can work my way through them. And uh, when it seemed that we had something to work with, uh, then we went in and we did a little bit of uh, overdubs. Uh, Tony Fennell, my guitar player, a fantastic producer, he had some wonderful ideas. He's got his own studio called T-Rays. He did a lot of stuff over there after we did the basic tracks here in Blue Island at my studio, which is called Chips and Up Studio, for lack of a better name. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Tony and I took the tracks and we went over to uh, – Tori Stoffregan, our guitar player, and he's like a little uh, disciple of George Harrison, just uh, loves that kind of guitar playing, wonderful slide player. Mm -hmm. He did a lot of stuff at his studio in Situates, and uh, Daniel Benjamin Hill did all his drumming here in, in Chicago. He's a famous record producer, up-and-coming guy who uh, plays a lot of string arrangements. He's a solid musician. Well, Once we had something that we thought was really a – a, a rock solid record and we were paying respect and homage to our, our favorite band, the Beatles. Then we took it over to a place called Stonecutter Studios in the north side of Chicago with a producer engineer named Chris Steinmans. Chris is responsible if, you, if a lot of fans out there have heard the name before. Uh, he was responsible for the Kiss uh, records in the early days. He did a lot of that early stuff with them. And some of their better records as well. Uh, but he's also worked with Alice Cooper and Styx and the White Lion and did a ton of nuffs and up stuff. Does hip hop records. He's a very diversified guy. And uh, he listened to the record and he goes, you know, let me do my thing to it. I'll mix it for you guys. And he pulled out all his little tricks from the old days, all his analog recordings. And we come up with a really great record. At the end of the day, we were really excited about what we had. And then Frontiers Records, uh, was kind enough to put it out there. They waited about six months. The record was finished in March or April of 2021, but the label felt uh, they needed a, a time to set it up. So we put it out in November. Uh, the record's done very well for us. A lot of people seem to love the, the album. And then we can go out on, on tour as a band and we can do some of those Beatles songs, the Enough's and Upset. Nice. Or, and then if somebody really wants the whole Beatle record, well, we call it the Beatles Rock Show. And we'll go out on tour and we'll play that. Maybe we'll do residency gigs in Vegas, uh, go over to, to Missouri and do some stuff out there where they have that uh, kind of work where bands play for a week or two and do the whole show. Uh, only time will tell what that's going to do. But I, I really think that we did something really special with that Beatle record. And it certainly was a conduit to setting up our newest record that comes out, um, my solo record, which comes out on March 18th on Frontiers. And that's called perfectly imperfect yep. it's got joel holstra from white snake playing on the guys from cheap trick are on there that's a pretty rock solid record you always, as well. you always so, got the look going on you always got the good a lot look of a lot on. of a lot of good stuff we're, we're we have we're getting good opportunities because we're not complacent we work really hard come up with songs the hardest thing for me as a songwriter is to come up with the material Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the biggest challenge. And I, I think I've been coming up with some with some decent songs. 
Yes. And if I like them and it trips my trigger, then I'll pass them on to my brothers and sisters and constituents and they can enjoy the records as well. And uh, coincidentally, uh, the newest Enough Snuff record's almost finished too. So there'll be three records in six months, guys. Wow. Uh, when, nobody, when... Could, nobody could call us lazy. It's not at all. You're, you... you're certainly a busy man. So and... when is that one coming out, Chip? The the, the new Enough Snuff? I think, I believe that it'll come out in June or July, right before we kick off this tour we're doing uh, uh, in the summertime. And there's a lot of tours happening. You got that stadium tour mm-hmm. happening. You got Cheap Trick going out with Rod Stewart, <laughs> Megadeth, and, uh, and a bunch of other bands are going to be on mm-hmm. tour as well. Uh, I, I think it's going to be jam-packed out to be like the Wild West this year when it comes mm-hmm. to touring. There's a lot of big, huge tours. And everybody's you got that uh, Motley Crue, Def Leppard thing going on three, too. Yeah, three, four bands together on these tours. I think we'll do something like that, of course, in a, a smaller scale. Uh, but we're looking out as going out maybe in uh, in the middle of June okay. and doing a run until July. And then August, we have another run as well. And uh, then September, we uh, really embark on a nice month and a half long run before we go to Europe in November. Cool. I want, I want to touch back on your on the, the, the Beatles you opening up with Magical Mystery Tour was just amazing. Yes. And, and uh, thank you for that because it, it sounded really cool. And, of course, um, the uh, jet was spot on. It just sounded just so cool. It was just dripping with, like, beetles and sleeves. It was it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it was, it was really cool. I just wanted to point that well, out. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Those songs, are they're, they're very challenging. They sound real simplistic, and in a lot of ways they are. But to perform them the right way, you know, it's very, uh, very challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are great songs. They're timeless. They're wonderful, wonderfully written songs that, yeah. you know, John and 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 Paul were had a great sense of balance along with uh, Ringo and George. Uh, just a real, just a formidable team. There's a reason why they're considered one of the greatest bands mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, is because their catalog is absolutely uh, untouchable. Uh, to do those songs live, there's the challenge right there, you know, especially with no sound check. Yeah. So tell me, we I'm, got a, I'm on a... stage and played, and we just, and we just wanted to sound great. But we were lucky enough. We had uh, uh, the sound guy who works with uh, Allison Chains and and Corn, and uh, solid as a rock. That cat was. Uh, I remember I threw him, I threw him a Stino at the end of the night. <laughs> saying thank you for helping us sound so great. Mm. That's what's important at those festivals. You want to make sure you got a front of the house guy that knows what he's doing. Yes. And uh, that, the guys over at Rock Island knew exactly who, who to hire. Yeah. Uh, and I think that helped us a lot to come out of the box with no sound check and have a, a great rock solid show. And it I threw great. those Beatles songs in not only because it's a new record, but those are celebration songs. And people get excited when they hear that. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time we played that song in concert. I remember hearing Cheap Trick actually doing that years ago. They've done I a thought, lot what of a great version. Things. We did it too, but we just never we never put it out live. But we did it. We recorded it in the studio, Magical Mystery Tour. That is. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what? That's got to be the song that starts the record off. Yeah. Uh, I think that really catch everybody's attention. Don't you have a bass from uh, Cheap Trick, um, Tom? Did you like buy a bass or did he give you something? Yeah. Yeah, was I got one, one of them eight or twelve bases. string ones. Yeah, he, well, I got a couple of them actually. I got a, a twelve string from him and an eight string. Is but I don't bring them on the road very often because to play to tune those eight string and twelve string basses is very tedious. Yes, 
we don't have a tech. We have a road manager, a guy named Beasley. He does like he wears like six different hats. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to put him through that. And so it's I, I bring the old four string out every single night. I had a couple of them I sold to Peterson, by the way. I think he sold them to to Nielsen. I uh, I had a, a 58 and a 59 Precision in the Jazz Bass. Wow. And I, I, I and back in 92, 93, when Enough Snuff was recording our third album, Animals and Human Intelligence, uh, over at Chicago Recording Company, they came in the studio to visit us, and uh, they talked me into selling both bases to them, and I was hemorrhaging money at the time. Wow. And we were doing pretty good. First record went gold. Mm-hmm. The Strength album came out. That one went, that one went gold, but... Back in the old days, if you if you sold a half million records, that's just breaking even. You don't really see a lot of money. Nowadays, if I sold a half million records, I'd be rich. Yeah. So those first two records, even though they had wonderful critical acclaim and they significantly sold uh, half a million albums apiece, we still found ourselves in the hole. So on that third album, Animals and Human Intelligence, we signed with Clive Davis and Arista Records. And I, I found myself in a position where I could sell those bases and pay my mortgage. And mm-hmm. Tom bought them both. $8,000 I, I charged them. That was it. Wow. And those bases are worth, you know, $20,000 a piece. Ooh. I didn't know that at the time. Rick's a, a guitar aficionado. He collects yeah. bases and guitars. He's got hundreds of them. As a matter of fact, if you go out and get Rick Nielsen's uh, guitar book, he's got a coffee book. Uh, it's got all the guitars in there, no bases in there. He acknowledged that they purchased them off me, so that, I thought that was kind of nice. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's always good to buy good musicians' uh, equipment off them if you know it's going to work well and sound good. I wish I had those two bases back, but I still got my '63 Precision. Real happy with that, and uh, I live in concerts. It's really my main bass that I use everywhere I play. And uh, everybody uh, that's uh, played it loves it. Uh, I, I got to go, to go back a little bit. In 2012, I was in uh, England, and I was on tour with Stephen Adler from Guns N' Roses, 2011-2012. And we were playing uh, the Underworld, Camden Underworld in Camden in London. And uh, I, before the show, I was backstage, and I seen Duff McKagan walk in. Mm-hmm with one of his guys like, Hey Duff, how you doing, man? He goes, Hey, just come out to see you guys. We happen to be in London at the same time. And I thought that was kind of nice. And, you know, Stephen and I were happy to see him. And then we used to sing before we went on stage, we would sing skyrocket and flight afternoon delight. And he watched, he goes, wow, was that cool? I've never seen anybody do that before. And I said, if you want, you can come up on stage tonight. It's a sold out crowd, you know, about 800, 900 people that were there. We're playing nothing but appetite for instruction in its entirety. Uh, if you want to come up and play a couple of songs, no problem, bro. He goes, no, Chip, I'm just here to support you guys. He's such a charming man. Huh. I've always loved Duff. Yeah. And I played yeah. with him before when, when, uh, when uh, during their 20th year anniversary when Guns N' Roses was uh, celebrating that, and I was able to play bass and have a couple of rehearsals with him and Izzy. So we got up on stage and started playing Crow Went Crazy. It was like we played like three or four songs in the set. And I looked over at Duff, and I and he nodded at me like, "Okay, I'll come up and play." I thought that he didn't want to play at first. He was he was just there to support Stephen and the band. Right. Uh, but then he seen the crowd going crazy, and for the first time in fifteen or twenty years, couldn't resist. He Duff wanted a part of that, didn't he? Yeah. And I hand him my bass guitar, and they go into. I think they played it's a man. No, maybe it wasn't a sleazy because I opened the night with that one, but it was uh, my Michelle, uh-huh. and I think they did Paradise City. 
And I just remember the look on people's faces. When he first walked on stage, I had the bass. People were crying in the crowd. There was a 10-minute standing ovation for Duff McKagan Jeez. and Stephen. And I seen it. I, mean, I still got the chills thinking about it right now because I've played that room plenty of times. And we have some of the most wonderful fans in London. But to see us, me up on stage with the guys in Guns N' Roses, it was a very special moment. Mm-hmm. Brought a tear to my eye. And uh, uh, we, they played a couple songs. And then I remember Duff handing me the bass. But he goes, great bass. The action's pretty high. <laughs> and, uh, of course, it is. I always play it real high. Because I play very aggressively. Yeah. Uh, but I've, I've I had a lot of guys, a lot of musicians that played that bass. And they love it. And I just, for some reason, I've never gotten rid of it because even though it's all in the fingers, that bass has its own tone, its own tonality, its own sound, its own timber. And it's pretty special to have a bass after all these years. 1963, I bought mm. it in 75. And to be able to take it out on tour and play it around the country. And people love it, the sound of it. But I, I can make any bass sound good without sounding modest. That's cool. That's awesome. You know, you know, doing all things, you know, researching enough enough, you come across, you know, some of your older material and, and some of your older interviews. And, you know, the the guy, the way you guys looked when you first came out was, you know, very glam and slowly progressed into, you know, kind of a more of a streetwise look. You know, you still look great now. You you kind of got you know got the glasses and the hat going on, and you always look great in your in your videos. But tell me a little bit about the progression that you guys like. Some of your interviews I, I was watching, you guys were just giggling, and you were young and everything. They were high. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> they were they were high. But it was just amazing seeing some of that stuff, and I came across. Um, a couple of uh, performances that you guys did on David Letterman, and, and I noticed um, your drummer was even playing guitar. I think it was Vicky. And um, what was that like playing with on David Letterman? Uh, the first time we went on David Letterman, uh, uh, Morty used to book the place, uh, and he was really good at what he did. He always tried to get new and up-and-coming bands. Our record label, Adco Records, worked really hard to – to position us and get us in a place where we can go on some TV stuff. We were before that we were doing the Howard Stern show a lot. And Howard's always been a real, a real proponent of an ups and ups music and a good friend of ours. I think that might, might've been the catalyst to how he got Letterman. Mm. Uh, but the first time uh, Morty called us and said, uh, we just want to have Donnie and you on the show. And we said, Oh man, thanks so much. We love that. But, we want to bring the whole band on. These guys have been through the whole, you know, working our way to the to the, to get to where we're at right now, and it's a, it's a very, it's very very difficult to have this opportunity and let it slip through the cracks mm-hmm. without sharing it through the whole gang. Right. And I go, how about if we just have the guys come on and we have Vicky instead of playing drums, we just have them play guitar. In this way, we keep unity within the band. Everybody's happy. We all share the experience together. And it, it'd just be a wonderful moment for all of us. And uh, the Letterman's people, uh, Mar- Morty mostly, the, the guy who books the show, said, okay, it's fine. We'll do that. So they flew us all out to New York. We did uh, Howard Stern first in the morning. And then we went in the afternoon to do Letterman. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, we did Baby Loves You, yeah. which is off the strength record and i thought that was really a, a great performance 
because uh, the keyboard player Paul was a, a huge enough snuff fan. He just loved the band. Being, I could tell they they all were fans of what we were doing because we're a real rock band. No tapes, no sequences, no guys backstage. Just four guys plugging in, singing, and playing. And and at the end of the show, I remember uh, um, David took us downstairs to the boiler room. We all shared cigarettes and cigars. That was a great moment. And uh, six months later, we were doing Animals and Human Intelligence, put that record out, and we got the call to come back out and do Letterman for the second time. That's very rare. Most bands don't do Letterman once, okay? Uh -uh. So here we are getting ready to do it for a second time. We're super excited about the prospects of not only reaching some new fans out there, but selling some records as well. And uh, went on the show, and I remember the guys in Letterman's band, uh, they said, Chip, stay on with us, and you can play uh, during the commercial breaks as well, because I was playing bass. Yeah. uh, Will Lee was playing guitar. I told Will, I go, if you want to play bass on it, bro, I'll just just sing with Donnie. That's fine. And Will said, no, are you kidding me? I I had the 12-string bass, by the way. I had the... (laughs) I, I had a bass guitar that I was that was uh, Kramer gave to me, and it was made for uh, uh, Chris Thomas, I think it was, or, or Bruce Thomas from uh, Elvis Costello's band. Oh wow! And he never picked it up, so I I talked to the constituents over at uh, Kramer, uh, my buddy Michael, who ran the place, Michael Pluckett, and he says, "Oh man, uh, we'll sell it to you, bro. Don't worry about it." I go, well, can you put some peace signs on it and make it look kind of cool, like enough's enough? And they said, yeah, we'll do that. So I paint up. So I took that bass with me on the show. So when Will Lee, he goes, oh, man, you got the 12-string bass. That's so cool. Chip, he goes, can I just play guitar? And I go, that'd be great. So he played guitar on it. And then during the commercial breaks, obviously, he couldn't switch guitars in time. So I just stayed up there and played bass. I love that because I got paid twice. Wow. I got paid cool. for play, playing with both bands. And I didn't know anything about it. I didn't do that for that reason. I did it because I the love of playing. I wanted to play with those guys and being up there with Paul Schaefer and, 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 uh, and Will Lee was a very special moment for me. But I remember uh, we finished the show. We jumped on a plane. We had to go play somewhere out in, in Indiana or somewhere. So it was me, Bob Brigham, our manager at the time, along with Doc, uh, Herbie Herbert, or late Herbie Herbert, God rest his soul, greatest manager in the world. And then the rest of the band, we all flew. And we got off the plane. We stopped over at some place at the end of the night uh to get a little bite to eat and it was a bar and uh, we asked the people behind the bar hey can you turn the tv on uh on david letterman and they said sure and so and they said yeah what do you want to watch that for we said well it's a great show and, and we're playing tonight they go you're here right now i go yeah we just taped the show and now we're we're on tour wow. and we turned it on everybody in the bar was freaked they couldn't believe it there's the guys <laughs> on tv sitting at the bar having a cocktail drinking a little loud mouth soup celebrating superstitious which is a song we played off animals and human intelligence mm-hmm. and then we got a phone call from rick nielsen saying guys we've watched a lot of bands live in concert on tv that might possibly be the best performance we've ever seen wow. we it knew we nailed it good. that day we knew that the band was really and i don't want to sound modest gentlemen i thought the band was we really nailed it we were straight and focused we weren't we weren't jacked up there was no extracurricular activities hmm. it was just four guys plugging and playing with the letterman band and we were all in sync and you know, we thought that's this is going to really help propel the record and probably sold about five thousand units that week so it was good for us for but it, it certainly wasn't enough to lift the black cloud that was following us because at that time there was a whole change in the garden of music business you right. had Soundgarden, pearl jam 
Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Mud Honey, all that Seattle stuff was out there. And rightly so, those are great bands, and I love their music, and I, I love the guys in the bands too as well. Uh, but a lot of bands like us had, uh, took, had to take a back seat for a while, even the bigger bands. And we just had to reformulate and come up with another game plan. And I think that the reason we've lasted this long is because we accepted the whole change of the guard. Mm-hmm. And we just continued to move on and write good songs about everyday experiences that we went through. Perhaps the audience did as well. And move forward and right. not complain and not and not be uh, tank- cantankerous toward the new talent that was coming out. Uh, I, get, I wish those guys nothing but well. They all, all those bands have done a great job. And the ones that have stuck it out and c- continue to work and play like we have, have all prospered. And God bless them. Mm-hmm. Do you have any regrets that you guys got lumped in with all the 80s bands back then because of your music no. is completely no. more complex? I don't have any regrets at all because that'd be a shortcut to thinking. I'm lucky I was even discovered. We're from Blue Island, Illinois, a small little town. Donnie and I wrote a bunch of these songs, and we couldn't get arrested. Nobody would pay attention except for our friends back home, and I said, hey, you guys got some good songs here. Perhaps somebody out there is going to be interested in the music business and help you guys. And it just so happens we were in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. We were doing our demos. And Doc McGee came in, and we gave him three cassette tapes. My manager, Bob Brigham, at the time, gave him three cassette tapes of uh, some of our earlier stuff. And the next day, Doc came up to me and says, Chip, I got uh, three cassette tapes in my car. Two of them are enough's enough. And I have a friend of mine named Derek Shulman, who has an imprint called uh, at Polygram Records. He's, he was responsible for signing Cinderella and Bon Jovi, and they've had huge success, and he's over now at Atco Records. They gave him his own imprint, and he's signing bands right now, and I think he'd be interested in doing something with your band. I said, and I didn't think anything of it. I go, Doc, I appreciate it. I knew Doc was a Chicago guy, hard-working cat, managed Motley Crue, mm-hmm. was working with, the reason I met him was he was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, uh, with Skid Row. They were doing their debut record, and we just took it as well, you know, a, a guy that was saying nice things and perhaps maybe he's seen something that we didn't see in each other. And now remember, when I was in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, doing these records, we had Alex Kane from Life, Sex, and Death playing guitar. And we couldn't get a record deal. We'd sent our demos out to everybody. And we just couldn't bite. And uh, Alex, a fabulous guitar player, the band was, uh, the songs were still the same. And it was the management company that came to me and said, Chip, we got this guy named Derek Frigo. Uh, we think he'd do a great job with you guys on, uh, on guitar. And we said, well, we got a band right now. We got a guitar player. And he said, well, why don't you have him come down and play on four or five songs? We'll pay for everything. We'll watch him the whole time. I go, listen, this guy's got a propensity to get in trouble at any moment. I knew he had a band called Le Mans in San Francisco. He's, he's, he's a very dangerous guitar player in all the right ways, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had a, he had a problem with uh, substance abuse. And I didn't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And they said, we'll watch him for you. Just have him come on down and play. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, we snuck into Raw Recorders, and we plugged him in. He played guitar on She Wants More, New Thing, Fly Michelle, and uh, one other song, Little Indian Angel, I think it was, or for now. And we took that demo and sent it out to all the labels the following week. And every label that passed on us sent us a deal memo wanting to sign the band. Warner Brothers, Adco, Capital, you name them, they all wanted a piece of the pie. We, everything changed, and we knew we had to make a change there because uh, Derek's guitar player was uh, one of a kind. He was a fabulous guitarist and had a great look. Looked like Joe Perry at the time, 
Right. Uh, but he played like uh, like uh, like David Gilmore or Joe Satriani, just wonderful sense of balance. So we ended up uh, signing with uh, Atco Atlantic Records. They came to a rehearsal in Chicago. It was a debacle. There was girls in the studio all drinking and partying. <laughs> like everybody was jacked up beyond belief. And the president of the label says, hey, let's hear something. We played new thing. Derek broke a string. Donnie says, let me know if he blew the deal and I'll fire him right now and try to make a joke of it. We played one more song for him. I forgot what it was. Uh, maybe Indian Angel or something. The first album for now. And uh, after we finished that song and we go, have you heard enough? And he says, I certainly have. So we thought that was it. He's not going to sign the band. We already had deals with Capitol and with Warner Brothers and the other labels. We thought we'll go somewhere else. And then we hung out with the president, who happened coincidentally that he was this lead singer of a band called General Giant, a fabulous band, like a, a prog rock band from England. He was a great lead singer. And then he got his own imprint. He started signing bands. He's, he's still around right now. Derek Showman, you check him out. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's still out there working with somebody. I haven't talked in years, but I, 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 I'm, in, I, I'm indebted to what he's done for me. And I owe him tons for discovering our band because uh, – uh, we went home. We had no money in the bank at all, by the way. No, no, nobody enough stuff had anything. Derek was living at 12, 12 Lakeshore Drive, so he was okay because his father was uh, Johnny Frigo, who played with Count Basie, Billy Holiday, hmm. did commercials. He's rich beyond belief and a great, hardworking guy. And uh, Ricky Fox came from a, a very well-off family, so he was okay. But Donnie and I, myself were behind the eight ball living uh, tough doing construction work, anything we can find. And uh, the following day, we got a deal, a facsimile from Atco Records for a, a quarter million dollars to do the first record. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was a miracle. A lot of prayer. And I got a lot of praying, a lot of uh, uh, going to bed at night when we did get some sleep, uh, hoping that we would get discovered and somebody would uh, be interested in helping the band out. And I remember Donnie and I got our first checks before we did the record. I got 70, $71,000, which was a, wow. nothing. It was tons to me probably nothing to the label because they had a Brinks truck full of money. And now remember, I'm on a label now that's signed Pantera, ACDC, Bad Company, and now here's Enough's Enough. And we, uh, we just took that money. We bought brand new equipment, got ourselves nice little apartments to live in so we were comfortable and could pay our rent, and immediately got on a tour bus and went on a tour with Mr. Big. Awesome. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because we have we have some more things to cover with you and we want to get to some viewer questions and comments for you. But I read something today that really shocked me. And, and I guess there was a point where you got you guys got a bill from Atco for eight hundred thousand dollars. Now, for people who don't really understand how the, the music business works, how record deals work, can you explain to them? why you guys had a bill from your record label for $800,000, just kind of in a nutshell. No, it's pretty simple. Uh, the record company gives you a contract and uh, you fulfill that, what they ask you to do. And uh, if you don't sell enough records in Sesame Street terms, you've got to pay that money back. And remember, they're giving you tour support and you have to you have to oblige by the contract and go along with it. And we owed money for all the support they gave us at radio, at retail, touring, hotel rooms. At the end of the day, it all adds up. So we sold a half a million records, which brings in millions of dollars. But they spent a Brinks truck to help promote the band and put us out on tour. 
So there's a little thing in the contract that says recoupable. No one reads that. And basically what it says is uh, we have to pay back all our debt that we incurred during the making of the record. So when we sold the half a million records, we thought, well, we got some money coming, not knowing that we had to pay back all that debt immediately in order to move forward. Mm-hmm. So we owed uh, over three quarters of a million dollars on that first record. Uh, but we said, well, the next record, we can we can make that up. Uh, and Doc McGee now was not managing the band after the first record because he was too busy with Bon Jovi, Scorpions, Motley Crue, et cetera. He said, I just don't have the time. And John's giving me a, a rough ride of spend too much time on you guys but I'm going to turn you on to who I think is the greatest manager in rock. His name's Herbie Herbert. So Herbie took over the band at that time. And Herbie, of course, managed Journey, Mr. Big, Steve Miller, Rockstat, Europe, et cetera. All the bands he had were massive, sold millions of records. And Herbie looked at the country. He says, you guys will have to sell 3 million records to get out of debt on your next record. We said, hey, we'll just take the chance. Let's do it. So at that time, Donnie V and myself were writing machines. I was doing a lot of business as well. We never slept, never stopped. Mm-hmm. We recorded 32 songs for the strength record. And out of the 32 songs we recorded, we kept 14 of it. The record company never showed up one time during that whole process of making that record in Los Angeles until the very end, Derek Showman showed up because he really trusted the band. Knew we, we produced and recorded and written our first record by ourselves. So what he did was he hooked us up with the mix specialist, Paul Lanny, who uh, was responsible for Peace Sells, Who's Buying, and Megadeth. And Paul mixed the record and co-produced it with us at a, a recording studio called Music Grinder in Los Angeles. And at the very end, Derek Showman showed up there. He says, we got a problem, gentlemen. And we said, what's that? He says, too many fucking good songs. Mm. So we cut it down from 32 to 14, put that record out there. But that was right when there was a change in the guard in the music business. Right. And everybody was taking an ass whipping. And we didn't stop. We said, you know, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to try to keep, we're going to navigate these waters and see what we can do. And we went on tour immediately and started playing shows. And the first tour was uh, going out with Nelson, believe it or not. It was either Nelson or no tour at all playing clubs. We said, we'll take the Nelson tour. Gunnar and Matthew seen me at, uh, in New York at one of their shows, Irving Plaza. They said, you guys, what are you doing? We love your record. And we said, we're, go- we're looking for a tour. And they said, you want to go out and tour with us? And that's what we did. We followed around Guns N' Roses and Skid Row for about two months playing Sheds and Arenas. And that was, that was a pretty significant tour for us. Sure. Uh, but it certainly wasn't, it was a Band-Aid on a gunshot when we were in trouble. Yeah, I understand. It's It's such a tough business. I, you know, I want to make sure that's all of your history. That's so fascinating. I I want to make sure people, we want to promote what you're doing now, in addition to talking about, about those past experiences. And we kind of quickly glossed over this, but I want to put this back up. I don't know if you can see this on your end, but our viewers can see it. This is Chip's solo album that's coming out on Frontiers Records on March 18th, and it's called Perfectly Imperfect. And I have heard the uh, the song Heaven in a Bottle. It's got a really cool video with it as well. Absolutely fantastic work. And and I want to I want to ask you real quick, and then I'm gonna let the guys have some more questions with you, and we'll read some viewer comments. But I was listening to that song on my headphones, and I don't know how you guys do it, but it's like the perfect blend of it. It has a modern sound. It's it's very sonically crisp and clear and full. But somehow it has that warmth that you find in old vinyl. 
So when you when you guys record, I mean, are are you trying? Are are you making a conscious effort to kind of capture that old warmth sound while still maintaining sort of that modern, really nice, full, crisp crisp sound that it has? Uh, maybe not, maybe subconsciously, but no, just trying to make a good record and then write some good songs. And coincidentally, that was one of the last songs that we put on the record. It was an old song that I wrote with Donnie. Mm. And I said, you know what? This one needs to see the light of date. I always thought it was a great song. We never put it on any of our records. Just did it on demos. I said, I want to do something with this one. And I just went in the studio and laid it down. And once again, it was pretty much live in the studio. Uh, Dax Nielsen from Cheap Tricks playing drums on that track. Uh, I once, once again, Joel Holstrup from White Snake is playing guitar on three or four songs on that record. That's uh, just another rock record, another, another pop song. It's great. Man. Writing songs about everyday experiences that we went through, and perhaps you did as well. And I've said it a million times. Uh, my songs aren't going to change the world, and I'm certainly not trying to do that. I'm just uh, putting out songs that, that, I, that I've written and that I feel in, in my gut that it would be something that other people might dig. Sure. And I'm glad that we were able to put that on Frontiers record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a solid pop song, but it's, it's, it's kind of aggressive. I think the video that follows it was is very strong as well. We had a great production team here in Chicago shooting the video with us. Um, it's another opportunity out there. I just, I get excited when I put these songs out there and do the videos. I want people to hear what I, what I do for a living because at the end of the day, that's my legacy. I write that. songs, I play music, I play guitar, play bass, sing, uh, drums, whatever it takes to get the song uh, written and, and accomplished. And uh, I move forward. It's wash, rinse, repeat. And it's, I've been doing that for the last 40 years. So I'm glad you like the song. I'm glad you dig the video as well. Sure. Uh, and uh, hopefully it'll be more to follow. Yes. And that's your wife in the video with you. Is that right? She's pretty easy on the eyes. Yeah. Kate Catalina. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it wasn't her idea to do the video. I had to talk her into it, but she's a dancer and actress very, very smart writer. She's is coincidentally, uh, she's writing the Jack Russell Great White book right now. So. Yes. Yeah, we had him on uh, our show. Yeah, she's an Oxford graduate and she's pretty smart. And I, I don't know what, how smart she is because she did the video. I talked her into that part, mm-hmm. uh, but I think she uh, made a great contribution to the to the song and to the video. And mm-hmm. I'm uh, happy to be able to share the spotlight. And uh, maybe the, sometime this year you'll hear her solo record as well. She just uh, finished. She's just finishing it up right now. And it's fantastic. Of well, course, maybe. I'm going to say that I'm her husband, but, well, sure, uh, but she then... wrote all those songs. She wrote them all before me. I had nothing to do with them. I just helped put them together. Well, we want you to know that when Jack Russell was on with us about a month ago, he was extremely complimentary of her and said that, you know, he's tried, he's gone through a few different writers to try to get this book finished. And he said, she's the one that's, that's going to bring it home. And, and so he was really complimentary. So make sure that, well, that she knows. I'm going to make sure I let Kate know that because uh, you know, she's very close to uh, Jack and, and his lovely wife. And I think that uh, they're, they're, they're like family. So sure. when, when I tell her that uh, Jack had wonderful things to say about her on your program, that's going to put a smile on her face. Good. Because let me tell you, for the last year and a half, uh, it's it's taken a lot of time away from our, each other yeah. by uh, what she's put into it and her the time she's dedicated into mm-hmm. writing this fantastic book, which I think will be a movie. It's that good. So it's uh, very nice to hear those kind words from Jack good. toward yeah. Kate. Yeah. Chip, I want you to take us back to May 28th, 2004, the day that Derek passed away. Where, where did you 
hear the news. Where were you? Can you get, take us back a little bit on that day? Uh, it's a it's a tough day. I I got a memory though. Uh, it's pretty strong, believe it or not. Uh, I remember a lot of different things, especially ones that are that significant uh, and uh, tragic. You know, I, I remember when I was a young little kid, and uh, my father and I were crossing the street. I was nine years old, and uh, a little girl ran across the street at two years old and got hit by a car and killed in front of us. Oh. And it just was, it was beyond belief. That was the first time I learned about life and death and how, how it can be taken away and snatched away within seconds. Mm. And uh, really left an indelible mark here. I am, you know, 50 something years later talking about it. Um, and Derek is no different. Uh, I was, I was living in a house, my first house I bought in Blue Island, Illinois on Prairie street, 20, uh, I think it was, uh, I don't remember exactly, 2230 Prairie. Uh, but I bought this house and I was, I took the basement, I turned into a recording studio. And at the time, we, enough stuff was just getting back together again. The original band, we had a Japanese tour ahead of us. And we were passing demos back and forth from Chicago to Los Angeles. So Derek and Vicky, who was living in Los Angeles as well at that time, could participate and put their parts on and send them back to us. We were working at a Chicago recording company downtown on Ohio Street. And uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning, my phone rang. I picked it up, and it was WXRT, the radio station, WXRT. A guy named Norm Weiner was uh, the program director. Fabulous guy. You don't hear from him anymore. But one of the greatest program directors of any radio station in the country. I don't remember who the, jour- who the journalist or the DJ was that called me. But he says, uh, Chip, is it true that Derek Frigo is dead? I thought that was kind of a questionable thing. I go, who's this? And they go, WXRT. I go, I haven't heard anything about that. And they go, oh, we're sorry, and they hang up the phone. I thought that was really strange that a radio station would call me and ask if my guitar player is dead. And here, remember, we just were finishing up our album. It was called The Question Mark. We had no better. We never had good names for our albums. Uh, so we called the album Question Mark because we didn't know where we were as a band as well. <laughs> we were debating that earlier. We were just trying to keep it going as best as we could. And I was really the only guy that was actually, you know, putting a hundred percent of time into it because uh, Donnie was in Los Angeles. He was living with his wife uh, and he was doing a solo thing. I was just trying to keep the choo-choo train moving forward. And I knew that there was still a little bit of gas in the tank. This is any, this is way before I knew that I was going to be fronting the band and taking over like, like Phil Collins did when uh, Peter Gabriel left Genesis. Hmm. So, uh, about a couple hours later, a friend of mine from Los Angeles called me and he confirmed that, that uh, yes, that Derek did die of a heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. And what was surprising of, with that whole thing was Derek was straight at the time. He was, uh, he was driving a car, pumping his own gas. He was you know, There's a different guy out there. He was doing really well. We were all real proud of him. His father was helping him out. He was playing a lot. He was doing TV shows and commercial work. You know, And I knew he was straight then, so... There's a lot more to that story. I'm not going to get into it because it, sure. it, we'd be on here for a couple hours. Uh, I feel that there's, uh, it was, he, I, I don't think it was an overdose as much as it was murder. I hate to have to say that, but Whoa. I feel that uh, he was in a position where he was around people that weren't in, uh, looking out for his best interest. And when you're a drug addict and you do something that pisses off the drug dealers, uh-huh. they give you a thing that's called the hot hit. 
and it's, and it's and they don't tell you what it is. They just sell you the drugs, and it's a hot hit, and oh, it's wow. you know pure heroin uncut, and you do a little bit of it, and, and you die. Oh, and geez. you know uh, when I talked to when I talked to Vicky Fox, and uh, Vicky says uh, that it was he felt the same way that it was uh, something that happened that was uh, uh, wasn't consistent with just a guy having a heroin overdose. That it, wow. it might have been a lot worse than that. And he's talked to me about it a little bit. I know his family went out and they hired a, a private investigator to look into it. But when you, any drug act that dies from an overdose, it, it it's swept under the rug. Sure. And that's what happened there. So if I can keep the legacy of Derek alive uh, with his music, that's what I'm going to do. He's a wonderful player, uh, notwithstanding anything that happened in the past. Uh, you don't hold a grudge. If there's a you know there's a time when we have to as artists separate the art from the person. So if somebody writes great songs, but uh, they committed a crime, you, you still have to acknowledge that they're still a great songwriter mm-hmm. and uh, or a great musician. And Derek is a great musician. He's missed. I, I'm grateful I get a chance to spend all those times I did with them in the past. And I love the fact that he's on the records. I can listen to him anytime I want. Yeah. And it brings a smile and puts a smile on my face. And all my rock musician constituents absolutely hail him beyond belief. That's wow. great. That's I, I want to know what life like is like being a front man because you know you had Donnie and then you had Johnny Monaco singing and you know did you ever foresee a, a day where you were going to be the lead singer for your band? No, and, no, not at all. When I decided when Donnie left for the last time in 2013 after a tour over in the UK, which didn't go as smooth as we anticipated, uh, he said if you're going to continue moving on, is enough stuff. You should sing the songs at least when you get in the middle of the stage. People are going to know it's enough's enough. And I still didn't take the gig right away until I, I talked to my friends, uh, most notably the guys in the band, and I asked them how they felt. And I remember doing a couple of gigs without Donnie, and I hated doing them because I love his pipes so much. He's just a wonderful singer and songwriter and just a, a fabulous guy to work with. Uh, but there was a lot of problems. Uh, he, it was really tough for him. The reason he left the last time was because uh, he was disillusioned by the music business, and uh, he had some health issues. So I wanted to keep the legacy going. So, so when I had some shows, the record company uh, and our agency, Artists Worldwide, said we got these gigs for you. Most notably, M3 Festival. Uh, I decided that maybe I'll take the bull by the horns and try to do it myself. And uh, you know, at this point, who cares who drives the bus? Let's get to the picnic. That's it took right. me a long time to find my wheels and find the right legs to handle this gig, but. Uh, a lot of sacrifice and not smoking pot and cigarettes, you know, just doing good things to try to make the gig as, as good as possible and as, as smooth as a transition as it could be. And then I listened to the fans more than anything, and the people have spoken, and 95% of them said the band's as good, if not better, than it was before. Yeah. Keep doing it. So right. that's, what's your relationship with those guys now, with Donnie and Johnny Monaco and all those ex-band members? You uh, good with everybody? You know, I, I I think that they're. I think that they live in a glass house and they they sling mud. Yeah. Uh, but I care about them beyond belief. I think they're both extremely talented. I did talk to Mr. Monaco about a couple months ago, and we had a wonderful little chat on the phone. And he sent me a text message. He was very kind, saying it's great to hear from me, and he misses me. Mm-hmm. That there was nice, Donnie. I play on his solo record. I did the video uh, for Party Time, and I, and I played bass and guitar and sang on the track with him. Some good stuff there. He's, he's also playing the, the last Nuff Snuff album. We did a Strangers in My Head where he uh, sang on it and Cole wrote the song. Uh, listen, I, I, 
I'm grateful for where we went as a team and all the things we've done together. And I look at the glass half full, not half empty. So right. I'd like to think that everything is okay. But uh, every time I think things are good, uh, and I let my guard down. Uh, I'm, I'm in for another rude awakening. So mm. I'd like to see uh, us all move forward. Mm. And I'd like to believe that uh, me carrying a legacy of enough snuff is notwithstanding a, a wonderful contribution to everything that we've done in the past. And I would hope they would respect that, those guys. And uh, maybe one day uh, we can go have dinner again and, and discuss are you, are you, are you all open? the wonderful moments we've had together as a team. You bet. Are, are you open to do anything music-wise in the future with yeah, well, the last, and Donnie? On the Brainwash Generation record, uh, Donnie came down, uh, as I said earlier, was uh, sang with me on Strangers in My Head, which was great. Uh, my first single on my solo record is a song that we both co-wrote called Heaven in a Bottle, another one that's good. Mm -hmm. um, I'm Party Time is Singer's new solo record. I think we've done some good stuff, more than... Uh -oh. oh, boy. I think we think he froze up. Sometimes it comes back. We'll see if he comes back here. Chip. It's frozen up on us. Uh, that's on his end. Uh-oh. That's not it. Well, shoot. We'll see if it unfreezes here. Um, darn. We may have lost him. Can he come back in the room? Um, let me send him a message that it froze up. <clears throat> You know, everybody can see that. But that's okay. This is what happens when you do it live. That's okay. This has been a really great interview, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. It's I great mean, when it, when you have a guy that has uh, uh -oh. great stories, great things to say. Look mm -hmm. at that! Look at that! Wow! Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna go back to our main screen here. If he if he comes back in, that'd be great. If not, we we're approaching the end of the hour with him anyway. Uh, I'll keep an eye on this if he comes back in. We do we do want to make sure we tell you guys to go check out his solo album. I'm going to put it back on the screen here again real quick. I think we may have lost him. Uh, it is perfectly imperfect. And like I said, man, his, that single, Heaven in a Bottle, is so good. If that's an indication of what, you know, the rest of the stuff on there, boy, it's going to be a good one. And that's coming out March 18th. Also, I wanted I was going to go through this with him. Uh, there's some tour dates that they've got coming up uh, in April. They're here in the States, in Iowa, Nebraska, California. Then they hop over to the United Kingdom. So they're not only going to be playing here in the States, but also overseas. So you can check all that out. And uh, let me go. Darn, I, I'm so sad that we lost him. Anyway, their website is, I have to pull this back up, enoughsenough.com. And then it's facebook.com slash enough's enough official. So you guys make sure you check that out. Dustin, I'm sorry we didn't get to your question. And uh, Stacy had another question too, but I think his, uh, I think his internet froze up and he is out. So thanks to uh, everybody I, I, that hung out. I sent him a message and said, told him that he froze. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. Um, but anyway, I want to thank everybody for, uh, tuning in with us. Ann Hunt, Todd Cook, Angie Parker, Mama Gay, Christy Lee, uh, Lynn Hernandez was in the house. Uh, right on. Chibola. Michael Chibola. Uh, Elizabeth Talcott. Dustin Little. Jose <laughs> Sanchez. Jamie Hooper. Tracy Long. Stacy. Uh, Shelly Tina. Kelly. Brad. 
Angela Cynthia Shoemaker. I'll, I'll bet your arm is wearing out, Teresa. Good job on that. I'd like to thank all of you guys for being here too, Scott. Definitely. Gina, Teresa. Definitely. So, Definitely. So, you know, I guess to the point of my question was, you know, was he open? He's done some things and mm-hmm. it sounds like he just kind of wants to, you know, move, move on, move forward, I sure. guess. Yeah. He's uh we, as we were prepping for this, it's obvious there's a little bit of bad blood. I mean, there was when we la- when I last read interviews with Donnie V. And you hate seeing that. You know, everybody's getting older. And I don't care if people get back in bands together or not. You want them to mend fences on a personal level. So hopefully those guys can all just, like he said, you know, go out to dinner together and be cool with each other one way or another. It's funny how bands are like that. I mean, every, you know what I mean? It's like the kiss and the mud slinging back and forth between the ex members. And then, yeah. you know, it's just funny. You had journey guys suing each other and it's just weird, man. It's, it's, it's very dysfunctional family sometimes. You being know, in a band. It, it is. And I'm sure money, once money comes into play, the whole ball sure. game changes because, sure. you know, it's all fun and games till you've, to start seeing the dollar signs but that's why there's something so special and precious about that beginning of a band when everybody's just doing it for for the love of the music and the camaraderie right. and you're hanging out and then you know darn it here comes the money and the power and and egos and boy things can get ugly but when you're you're, you're in a band with somebody for a long time sometimes the personalities just really come out you know and <sighs> yeah. they finally just clash to a point where yeah you know like that's it it's unfortunate but Man, a, another great Yeah, he guy. was breaking it down, like the whole, mm-hmm. everything that he would go into, he was very um, just detailed. And, and honest. I mean, that was an honest interview. He said some stuff on there that blew my mind. Uh, I did not know that about Derek, and wow. Right, that was, right. I was going to ask him if he had a, a title for the new Enough's Enough album, but again, he said that would be coming out in June or July. Busy, busy guy, busy band fantastic band they were so good at rock Island yeah Fest. i wonder why his phone froze though you know well it just those happens the, i wonder and you know what else i wonder i wonder why we forgot to turn on the live on air sign because when we forget to turn that on no, it you just, can't see it no it's not on it's right you can't see it when it's not on that's it? true oh are you able to flip around and turn it on since sure. we're going to be on for like five more minutes go ahead do it just make it right for, for me, do it for uh-huh. right. now. We're live. Now we're live. Check, check. Oh, mm. there's something wrong with it. It, yeah, it, that thing was made in China, so you know. Oh, uh-huh. there it goes. Okay, perfect. There you go. Now we're live. Now we can get off air. Okay, so let me real quick. Uh, hey, Teresa, you, you feel like saying hi, or do you want me to? Yeah, of yeah, course. let's do okay. it. Okay, it's bam, it's split cam. There she is, doing a great job. Hello, Teresa. Hi. Thank you for all your help tonight. With what's uh, on your mind? My pleasure. Yeah. What's up with you? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing is on my mind. What do you think about the interview? You know, it was fascinating. It was fantastic. It was. I was hanging on every word. I could see you doing that over there. I was hanging like. Yeah. That. He he is a, a fascinating guy and so sweet. And like we said, he was the rock star of that festival down in Florida. I, sure. I mean, everywhere you turned your head, there was Chip taking a picture with someone and hugging a neck and of course you know it's a scary time right now with covid going on but um i mean he wasn't letting that stop him from connecting with his fans so it was it was just neat to see a guy doing that may i stacy yes. lunger has a question for you scott if you could do a gig with one of your inspirations idols who would it be <laughs> i think uh, that was for chip no, but i know but we oh. didn't get to it so we're going to use it for scott okay cool go ahead who would it be scott one of your inspirations idols billy idol 
Billy Idol mm. because right. his last name's Idol. Um, Is it, do we have more questions? Yeah, this one's several for, fans this, out there. This one's to. for Jana. We love you, Jana. Always here for the fans. What it says. You got my vote for mayor of Rock Island. Well, now Chip's got some competition. I, I tried to represent out there. I was wearing the TMS gear everywhere. Right, right, right. Did, did I tell you guys? I don't think I told you guys. Someone actually watched the stream because they saw us walking around out there in our jackets. Oh, How cool, cool is that? Yeah. And that's yeah. just that's what it's all about. Uh, Ramon, Raymond, Ro- Robert says. Um, Robert Ramon. Yeah. Well, Razor Ramon, remember? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He says, dang, I missed him. Well, no, you can watch the replay. Yeah, that's right. There, there will be a replay. Every every episode that we do, once it's done live, it stays on Facebook, stays on YouTube, and you can go replay it. You should get all your friends together and have a replay party. Yeah, get some chips and dip. Oh, a watch party. Yeah, that right. too. Get some pork rinds What's going. the difference between a replay party and a watch party? One what? is live and one's not. Boom. There right. you go. One is Memorex. Okay. Yeah. I need to give a quick, quick shout out to our, our sponsors. Shout out to that. Um, let's put this up. DEB Concerts. All these amazing shows coming up at the BOK March 24th. Snoop Dogg. He was smoking it up at the Super Bowl last week. Ice Cube and Warren G. That's March 24th. And then, uh, what is this? Saturday, April 30th. You've got Megadeth and Lamb of God within Flames. And then in the summer, August 20th, Poison. With special guests, Cinderella's Tom Keeper and L.A. Guns. That's going to be amazing. Check out debconcerts.com for more info. Thanks to Psychomo Filmworks for an awesome new intro for the show. Identity Merch runs our online store. You can get any screen printing you need done through Todd Cook and Identity Merch. Check them out. Okie PC, Dustin Little, he's been with us from the beginning and such a great supporter of the stream. If you have IT needs, contact him. 918-640-0892 or email Dustin at okiepc.com. Thanks to gregshipman.com for making us look good on here with all our cool pictures. Appreciate you guys. If you have photo needs, you can go to gregshipman.com. And finally, last but not least, Surviving Rocklahoma. Thanks for making these Zoom, Zoom calls possible for us. Let's quick run through the two remaining shows we have on the books right now. We've got TMS episode 53. That's Thursday, March 3rd at 6.30 p.m. Central with Eddie Trunk. That's going to be a big one. And then TMS episode 54, another nice guy in the rock and roll world. Sunday, March 13th at 6 p.m., Norman Voss of Brett Michaels Band. He's jamming on the bass with them well, them dudes. Chip just says, thank you very much for your time and very kind words. it's great. I will, I will send him um, the video link and everything, and yes. hopefully he'll come in and the chat room to answer all of your thousands and thousands of questions you got for him um there was lots like we have a hat and it's overflowing with little papers Mm. with questions on it you know what i mean it's true right but you know he left the show the the way you he dropped the mic man it was that was leave him hanging man wanting more it was like maybe he intentionally froze it because he was like okay my hour's up i'm gonna hit it i'm gonna hit it now right what a great guy and i wanted to say a few more things but what go, go ahead. Go ahead. We're, we're listening. Well, he's not in. The, we are anymore. Everybody else. Can't is. we just be like Alex Grossi last time and pretend like we're Chip there and answer you your questions? And we should have brought that up too. <sighs> we were going to, but yeah. you know, freeze, freeze happens. Yeah, and but he, yeah, he had some great stories. So, man. so once you freeze and you're and you're out, can you not click on the same link and get back into the I, same I, group? I think that was a possibility. Hmm. Yeah, I think that could have happened. But, you know, it, it, we'd been on with him for an hour, so it, it was time. And 
that's okay. Mm. Well, I want to thank you, Chip, for coming on the Tulsa Music Stream. It was a pleasure to talk with you and, mm-hmm. and hear your kind words and, and the history of Enough's Enough. Um, I learned a lot. I mean, I did some research, but man, that was the guy I should have went to for research. Yeah, he's, he, he's got it all. He does. He, he, took, he remembers everything. Yeah, he does. It was his show tonight. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. And, and it was, I've got all these questions, but it was like, you know, he just kind of answered. He answered a yeah, lot of the questions right. I'd already had. Yes. Right? He was just answering them as, as, as we were going, going down the so list without like, even knowing it. I was like, okay, that one's gone. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Chip. That one's gone. Yeah. Uh, okay. This one's gone. But Same here. Same here. Anyway, it was a uh, fascinating interview and um, I can't wait to do this again. Right. And, um, you know, well, yeah. One more thing we want to plug for Chip. He does a, the Monsters of Rock radio show. Weekdays ten to two, you can hear that at dashradio.com. So I wanted to get that in there as well. And I, th- you know, he was probably going to drop a, a, well, I don't know what what those would be called, but you know, he had a, a surprise probably that he was going to let everyone know oh. about something. But I'm not going to uh, mention it on the air. Oh my god, that's not fair. Right. Will you tell me after we go off the oh, air? Yeah, absolutely. That's rude to our viewers, jerk. That's that. Oh, right. Well. Mm, yeah. Oh, well. Well, you have to tune in for more Tulsa Music Streams to find out the secret. So, anyway. Okay. I think that's good. I think we're done. Thank you, guys. Again, uh, next show. Let me put these back up here real quick. He next will be show. playing Tulsa in the uh, okay. coming. That's for the coming camera. Months. When we okay. go off. Oh, okay. Well, hold on. I have to go back on camera. One more time. Next next episode, Thursday, Oklahoma. March 3rd, 630. With Eddie Trunk. Let me put us back on camera so you guys can throw your crap and make a mess like you always do. Let me participate hey, this time. Put, put her on again so Wait. We, can, we can throw this stuff at her. Okay. Uh. Oh, that'd be fun. Ready? Yeah, let, but we have to count down. You ready? One, two, three, go. Oh, my God. It's a party. It's, it's a mm. madhouse. All right, we're going to get out of here. This Ooh. episode was brought to you by Budweiser Zero. zero. <laughs> 50 calories, zero alcohol, zero sugars, all, all the taste. None of the punch. <laughs> we love you. Yeah. Have a great week. We'll see you guys next time on Tulsa Music Stream. Bye.